So we're jumping into a new sermon series, and uh, this series we're going to be focusing on the grace of God. Uh, the name of the church is obviously Grace Covenant Church, but uh, to many, it's funny how a name can just be a name, uh, but Grace Covenant was chosen on purpose, and uh, we're going to spend four weeks. Now, I'm going to preach all four of these weeks. Next week, Sean Clemens is going to be preaching, and so y'all get ready. He's going to, just a little public confession that his preaching gift makes me insecure. He's, he's strong. And so it's going, to be, it's going to be an amazing message next week. He won't be, he'll, he'll be along the same lines, but it's not going to be officially part of the series, but it'll feel like it just in case you're like, but the slides are different. You know, it's not that serious. It's just a slide. Um, but then I'll come back and we'll, we'll continue in this series. But we're focusing on the grace of God. And this week we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is found after 1 Corinthians 14. If you're looking for it in your Bible, you can find it online. You don't even have to spell the whole thing out. You can just, it'll spell check and do it all for you. So if you're using your internet Bible, I'll give you a minute to get there. First Corinthians was a letter written by Paul. I've said this many times before, but in case you haven't heard it before, uh, first and second Corinthians are actually the second and fourth letter, letters that were written by the apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Uh, we don't know where the first and third letters are, but we know that they were there because he references them in these letters. These epistles, we call them, these letters, we call them epistles. They were sent to the churches to give them instruction. Sometimes it was to answer questions that they were asking. Sometimes he was volunteering information, you know, telling them the thing that they don't want to know, kind of like when somebody starts speaking to your life and you're like, I didn't want you to talk to that. I just wanted you to help me here. You know, somebody comes to the office and they're like, hey, our marriage is in trouble. Fix my wife. And I'm like, you're the problem. It's like, that's not what I asked for. You know, that kind of thing. Paul does that in these epistles as well. Uh, and so he's, he's helping the church understand uh, what the Christian church is going to look like. This, this moment right here in, in chapter 15, um, he he's, uh, follows the famous chapter on love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's talking about the love of Christ as a litmus for whether or not we have real love or if we have lust or maybe just like, right? And so it it follows all of these things. And then he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. And um, and, and we're going to find ourselves, uh, we're going to find ourselves in here. Um, In verses 9 and 10a. Paul says this, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. Now, uh, the NASB has a 10A and a 10B. This has to do with how the translation works. If you've got an ESV or some other versions of the Bible, it continues. So I'll just go ahead and read the passages, but we're going to focus on the first part of 10. Just to, does anybody have 10A and 10B? Anybody reading the Bible that has that? Yeah, well, I just gave you a lot of information you didn't need. <laughs> was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. These are God's words to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We ask that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to understand 
what you're speaking to us during this time, that we would draw close to you, that we would love your grace. We would love your sovereignty. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Just for reference, the verses and chapters were added a lot later than it was written, right? Paul didn't divide his letter. He wasn't like, oh, verse 3, New thought. He didn't divide it into verses for them. He wasn't being poetic. He was writing letters. Uh, Verses and chapters were added like 12th century, and verses were added 15th century-ish so that that we could better break it down and we could talk about it with more specificity, more quickly and more easily. I imagine it probably... Um, you know, at least after when we broke it into verses, you know, it's, as the printing press came out and we got, the, we got to see it in front of us, we didn't have to memorize it as much. And so we just kind of speak to it generally. And then ever since the internet, we forgot how this works, right? Because we just Google it. We're like, it's something like God works in mysterious ways. And he hits a ride. Um, but so, so chapters and verses, that's why the 10A, 10B, you know, somebody might be like, see, the Bible's not right because that has extra things. Well, that's not actually the word of God. That's not actually the thing that was canonized. The thing that was canonized and we look to as the word of God is the substance of it, not the way that it was divided between chapters and verses. Make sense? Was that helpful to anybody? Well, good, because I enjoyed talking about it. Um, so at first glance, when, when I look at this, I used to think that, man, Paul is really arrogant. He talks about himself a lot. And, and you might look at it and think this is a passage about Paul, but it's not a passage about Paul at all. I was the one that was prideful, and the Bible was showing me myself. What's, what's happening is this is really about the, the power and the grace and the love of God reaching out to a man who is undeserving of grace, undeserving of love, undeserving of God's time, of God's power, of his closeness, of his nearness. And, and so this is really about God, okay? So we're going to talk about Paul a lot, but don't forget that this is a message about God, right? You with me? He says, for I'm the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. If I was to lead off this morning about the reasons that I'm qualified to be leading this congregation, I wouldn't necessarily start off with the reasons I'm not qualified, right? I'd look for the lowest common denominator and show you how I'm at least better than that guy, right? (laughs) I might humbly say, you know, I'm not the greatest, but I'm pretty good. Right, like you might hear something like that. I'm going to defend my position. I'm going to try and make my case for why I should be a leader. And I'm going to try and make you think a lot of me because I think a lot of me. Right, that's what I would like to do. And that's what our world does. That's what our culture does, right? You've never gone into an interview and actually shared a weakness. You're you're like, my greatest weakness is also my greatest strength. (laughs) I do excellent work all the time and I can't not. I find that to be a weakness sometimes because I can't put out bad work. (laughs) You know, and it makes other people insecure. But I'm completely secure, which is my only other weakness. Because I can't identify with insecure people. (laughs) You know, right? So, like, that's how we would lead ourselves out. But Paul comes out, and he's like, trust me, I'm the least. (laughs) Right? You're like, ah, we got to find another church. (laughs) 
Paul, could you let us know who the greatest is? Because we really, we're looking for that good preaching gift. We're looking for some prosperity. We, you know, got an anointing message in there, a blessing message in there somewhere. And he's like, no, I'm the least of these. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not even qualified. And then he tells us why he's not qualified. He says, I persecuted the church of God. This man, now, when we think about persecution, we're not talking about like made fun of him at the water cooler, right? Or like said something flippant. That's not the persecution, you know, called him, you know, said, oh, you're such a fundamentalist, you know, and called that persecution, right? We're talking about he, he put people in jail. People were murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ. When, when Paul got saved, he was on his, he, he was on his way to to persecute Christians. It wasn't like I persecuted him once and then I cleaned myself up and then Jesus saved me. He was on a mission to go persecute specific people in Damascus. And, and, you know, he didn't respond to an altar call. An altar call is when you raise your hand or come to the front and in response to, hey, would you like to give your life to Jesus in case you don't know, right? He didn't get saved. I keep saying saved too. Saved is, saved just means rescued from your sin and the consequences therein, right? What are the consequences of sin? The consequences of sin are death, a very real permanent death. That lasts forever, meaning no eternal life, meaning no eternal hope, meaning no significance beyond whatever enjoyment you find in this life. And even, even the enjoyment you find in this life is because of the grace of God. But imagine none of that. Like your worst day, but worse. Right? On your worst day, at least there's a cool breeze. On your worst day, at least there's still what we call the prevenient grace of God that you benefit, that, you know, somebody might love you. At least your mama told you she loved you or liked you. At least you have the memory of something good. This would be, this would, this is, that's what we're saved from. Torment. And so when we talk about being saved, I mean, we should, there should be like a relief, kind of like a whoo. Kind of like, yeah, I got saved. And I'm thankful that happened one time. No, like, I'm thankful I'm saved today. That no matter what happens today, I'm, I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. Amen. I get to see him face to face and see him for what he is and, and be completely and fully who he intended for me to be without the shackles of shame or insecurity or guilt or, or, or those other things that try to tie us down. Weariness, it's gone. But we have love, like complete, pure, passionate, unbridled, unperverted love. That's exciting to me today. And so, so he gets saved, and he, he didn't do it by responding to an altar call. Jesus shows up to him on the road on his way to Damascus, knocks him down. The, the light was so bright that he was knocked down. Have you ever experienced something so amazing that you, you, you collapsed? No? I hope you do someday. Right? I hope you do someday experience something so startling and so amazing that, that at least you lose your stepping for a minute. Oh, goodness. See, Paul was caught up in this fervor to do what was right. But the problem was he was doing what he thought was right. And he forgot to check with God to see if he was doing what God thought was right. Because sometimes we can grab onto our traditions and we can grab onto the teaching and we can charge full ahead, being like, this is absolutely the way it is. It's just that things changed and Paul didn't realize it. 
God was doing a new thing and he missed it because he was set down so hard in his tradition, set so, so hard down in his, in his, in his education and in his, in his belief system and his structure and the society structure and all of these things, all good things. But he was set down so firmly in it when God was doing a new thing, he missed it. It's easy for us to do the same thing. I'll say that if you want to be a leader in the church, um, persecuting me and the people in the congregation is not the way to do it. Right? Like telling them that he was a persecutor of the church isn't making it better. He's like, I'm the least of these. I'm really not worthy of it. And I probably murdered your cousin. (laughs) Not the way to become a leader at Grace Covenant. In Sterling, anyway. I'm not going to speak for Chantilly. No, I'm just kidding. I will speak for Chantilly. Not the way to become a leader in any organization. Most organizations. Throwing stones at me is not the way to get there, nor is throwing stones, nor is putting anybody in jail for their belief. If you want to be a leader, join a, join a service team. And demonstrate humility. A willingness to serve other people and to put other people before you. Get on a service team that, that you know, causes you to, to labor a little bit. You don't have to hate it, right? Like, I used to think it wasn't service until you didn't like it. And so I'd do so much stuff that I didn't like what I was doing. And it's like, now I'm serving. Jesus will love this. I hate it. <laughs> you don't have to do that. And I hope you don't even feel that way. That's my own dysfunction. You know, join a small group and demonstrate that you're, you're willing to do life with other people. That, that you know that, that God takes community seriously. He takes family seriously. Demonstrate that you can cooperate well. You can work well with others, right? And we got to see you get offended before you're a leader, right? And somebody in your small group or your service team is going to offend you and they're going to leave you out of something and you're going to feel insecure. You're going to feel hated. It's going to hurt your feelings. Something's going to be said wrongly or badly or on purpose and wrong still. Or wrong and right, right? Like the, the, right, the right thing the wrong way. Like make yourself, <laughs> make yourself a target for that. Wow, that's a really good sales pitch. That's awful, JC. Join a small group. Get yourself kicked around. We'll make fun of you and tell you things you don't want to hear about yourself. No, that's not, that's not the goal of small groups. I did a terrible job. I'm saying that's just the stuff that accidentally happens anytime you're with people. Because the reality of the people in this room is that they're people too. And the reality of you is you're a people too. And the, reality, the third reality is if you're not the one being offended, you might be the one offending. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. But while he was still rejecting Jesus, he was still rejecting the church, he was still rejecting God's people, Jesus appeared to him and arrested him, confronted him, and said, Paul, you're not just going after my people. When you go after my people, you're coming after me. It's no wonder that Paul defends these people so, so fearlessly and so fiercelessly after he came to Christ. Because he understood that these are God's people. He understood these aren't my people. These are God's people. 
So it's no wonder that he says the things he says to the church in Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Why would you get distracted from these things? You belong to God. In 1 Corinthians, he's like, it's cool that you got these spiritual gifts. I got it. It's neat. The power of God moving through you. But this is God's. These are God's people. These are God's gifts for God's people. Don't use them for your own benefit. Use them for their benefit and for the benefit of the kingdom so God could be glorified. So it's no wonder after a conversion like that that he would fearlessly and fiercely defend the church on behalf or in, in, on, on Christ's behalf, on behalf of Jesus. His eyes were open to the reality of who Jesus is and the people that he was going to go and persecute, the people he was going to go put in jail, the people whose lives he was going to go ruin were now going to minister to him because Paul was blinded. When he saw Jesus, the scales came on his eyes and, and he had to proceed forward and find Ananias and Ananias, who I'm sure was scared to death. Oh, Saul, you mean the one who's persecuting us? You want me to go find him and touch him and pray for him in the name of Jesus? And you're going to heal him? No, thank you. Right? We could barely walk to the cubicle of the person that annoys us a little bit. Right? We can barely pick up the phone to call that family member or that cousin or that person that we're like, man, this is going to be a lot of work. <laughs> Wear me out. Saul, that one? Yeah, that one. The people that he was going to go and persecute were the people that helped him see fully the kingdom, to help them see the bride of Jesus, what we call the church. Paul says a similar thing. He gives more information about why he's the least of these in his letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it for you. He kind of, he, he builds out, he explains more what, what he meant when he said uh, that he's the least of these and he's not qualified because he persecuted. In 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement, full, uh, deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy though, so that in me, the foremost, that is the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example of those who would believe in him for eternal life. Whew. saying I was a persecutor. I was a blasphemer. I acted ignorantly. I didn't have all the information, but I lived like I did. I wasn't just a sinner. I was the worst of sinners. And the grace of God came to me and saved me and transformed me. 
so that I would have something for you. I'm sure that's a warning to young Timothy who came to Christ in in his teenage years and was now leading a church because there's a temptation, old or young alike, where, where it's like we start to believe that God saved me because I was good. And we forget that we were blasphemers. We forget that we were acting ignorantly. And we're like, I was a pretty good version of myself. And God just made me a better version of myself. If by, you know, sometimes we're like, we just want God to renovate us. It's like, I'd like a little more room for hospitality just right here. If you could just rearrange the thing, move the wall over. I'd really like to keep watching those movies. And if you could just move that wall over, I'll watch less movies so I can have more hospitality in my life. That'd be good. Thanks, Jesus. If you could just do that. There's a, the gentleman who lived in the house before us moved from our house to another house uh, to do what he called a renovation. Now, uh, Mr. Smith's version of a renovation is that you clear the thing from the foundation. You just knock the whole thing over because apparently if you keep the foundation, it's still a renovation. So he just knocks the whole dang thing over and then starts over from the, from the, very, from the very bottom. He's like, I'm going to fix the foundation and I'm going to do all this other stuff so I can put the new house on a good foundation. So if by renovation, if the renovation you want is for your house to get knocked over and then to get rebuilt into what you were really supposed to be, then go ahead and use that language. But God doesn't want to just make you a, a newer thing, right? He wants to make you a new thing, a new creation. The kind of, the kind of new that, it's, that you don't recognize yourself sometimes. The kind of you that when you, when you turn around and you look at where your money's going and you look at what your priorities are and you look at your calendar, you're like, oh, I'm that guy. Right? Does anybody, anybody in here have any Simpsons in their background? The Simpsons, the cartoon, the yellow ones? No? Anybody? Not going to admit it in church? That's cool. Don't. That's fine. There was a day where I realized I'm Ned Flanders. He's like, hey, diddly do. You know, like... He's like a Bible-thumping, you know, fundamentalist Christian is kind of like the character that he played. And when I realized I was him, I wasn't actually embarrassed by it. I was like, that's how you get there. That's how you get here talking about Jesus all the time. I just, I, I learn, I've learned more and more and more as I mature in Jesus how desperate I was and am for him. When I got we, we say, instead of getting saved, we'll say we got right. When I got right with Jesus, when he made me righteous... I thought I needed like this much Jesus. Needed like, a, like, a, like an aspirin or something. Like I'm aching a little bit. I'll take some faith in Jesus and maybe the pain will stop a little bit. But really as I mature in Jesus, I don't feel like I need less of him. I need more and more and more of his presence. And so if you're discouraged at all because you're like, I gave my life to Jesus like 18 months ago and things are still hard. No, no, you didn't do something wrong. We just always need more of him. If you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years and you think that, that is your resume, and you're like, I've been good for 20 years, and I'll just coast this out, you, you missed the gospel somewhere in there. You forgot. You forgot what you're like. And you could just ask your spouse. Shouldn't have said that. You could just ask your friend that tells you the truth about yourself, the friend that you won't ask about yourself. You know, even when it's time for evaluations, it's like, okay, I need somebody to evaluate me. I'm going to humble myself. And ask somebody who really thinks I'm great 
if there are any areas that I can, that I can improve in. You know, and they're going to tell me something superficial, like, your shoes are old. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll work on that. Thanks, brother. But I know if I go to, like, Pastor Eddie, he's going to tell me about myself. Right? (laughs) Keith Temple, JC, they're going to tell me about myself. And they're going to help me see what I've been ignoring. And um, so I'm thankful for those relationships. But that's not where we go first, is it? I'll say that, uh, you know, I talked about requirements for leadership in the church. Um, you know, if, if you come into Grace Covenant and, and, you're, and you're like, hey man, I've been a believer for years and years and I'm, I'm ready to teach. Give me the pulpit. Um, you know, that, that's not the way to get there. I, don't, I didn't even mean to talk about that. I wanted to talk about sinners. If, it's like a requirement for leadership is that you have to have been a sinner. You have to have been desperate for Jesus to change and transform you. Because clean streams will come from somebody who knows, they, who knows they were desperate, who knows that they are desperate. If we, don't, if we think we needed the aspirin size of the gospel, just a little thing to add to me, oftentimes there's, you thought you were so good that there's still a whole lot of you coming instead of the new that Jesus wants to do. Now, don't compete to be the worst sinner or like the champion of sinners. You don't have to worry about that. Pastor Dave said, want to be a leader, got to sin. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Sometimes I walk out what it could look like when like what, got, what just got heard. You have to have been a sinner that needed Jesus and desperate still for Jesus. Don't go out and sin if you want to be a leader, right? You guys got it. You're smart. I don't know why I even qualified that. That was for someone. I don't know who you are, but. <laughs> like grace is abundant. Should we, you know I mean? Paul dealt with this. He's like, grace is abundant. Does that mean you should sin even more? Because you'll get even more grace. Let's just look at that. In Romans 5.20, he says the law came so the transgression would increase. So it's basically like the law, the, the commandments, all the, the regulations, ordinances, and everything else. What those do is the ordinances, it's kind of like a sign that says, don't read this sign. Right? By the time you've read the sign, you've already violated what the sign says. I never think about touching paint until I see the sign that says, don't touch this paint. And I'm like, why not? You're keeping something good from me. And it draws out this rebellion that's in me. You know, like Adam and Eve probably were cool not eating that apple. And it wasn't an apple. Got it. If you're a scholar, it was a fruit and a tree. But it's like the thing, it doesn't even matter what it was. It could have been, don't touch the Lego. And it's like, I didn't think about touching the Lego, but man, I would just want to touch the Lego. And that's what it produced in them. And so it produces the same thing in us. And the law reveals that to us. Why? So that we can be reminded of our desperation from Jesus and we would never try and just do it all on our own. If the law, if we could actually accomplish what the law said, we'd be like, I'm good. I've done this perfectly, but our hearts would be secure in ourselves, not in God himself. And so he's given us this law to reveal our weakness to ourselves. It's a weakness that he always knew about, but is somehow always a surprise for us, isn't it? That's not who I am. Well, it's not who you want to admit to being. Maybe it's a surprise to you when that that came out of your mouth or you did that thing, but it was in there. At least the capacity 
for it was there. At the very, very least. And he wants us to know that. And so we go, so, but, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus our Lord. And so it's like, so where, where, uh, where death was reigning, where death was increasing, where sin was growing, grace abounded even more and drowns out the grace so that you can't even recognize the sinfulness anymore. So that all you see is love. All you see is power. All you see is righteousness. That's really amazing. And then, and then next he follows up and he's like, so should we continue sinning? So that, gra- so that grace would abound? It's like, wait a second. If I sin, God shows up. So if I sin more, I get more God? No. Because when grace comes, it gives us the power to do good. It gives us a grace to obey, or a grace, I just meant it differently. I meant it as a strength. It gives us the strength to obey. It gives us the strength to serve. It gives us the strength to humble ourselves. You with me? Okay, great. So let's, let's get back to uh, 1 Corinthians. I want to look at chapter, uh, the verse 10. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word grace. Do you think about Grace Covenant Church if you've been around for a long time? Maybe you think of that, that person you know by a similar name who, if you like them or don't like them, that's a good thing or a bad thing. The word that we're translating to grace here is charis. It's, a, it's grace as a gift or blessing brought to man by Jesus Christ. It means favor, kindness. So by the, by the love of God, the nearness of God through Jesus Christ that I don't deserve, that I didn't deserve because I persecuted the church of God. I am what I am. So what is he? Because of the grace of God and the nearness of God through Jesus Christ, Paul says this being, being a, a, an apostle, but he's, I, I, if you ask Paul, I bet you he's less excited about his role, of a, a role as an apostle, as someone who's sent, as he is just someone who's forgiven. His enormous debt wiped away. He's somebody who, though, though he deserves punishment for his sinfulness, is now not going to get a punishment. He's receiving blessing because of the work of Jesus. I've heard uh, justification. He's justified now. Justification is not you might, it's, people say it's, it means just as, as, just as if I've never sinned. But it's better than that. Pastor Dukes illustrated it this way many years ago, and it, 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 it blew my mind, right? It changed, it, it changed me. But he said if, if our sin is negatives, like negatives like all over me, right? Just negatives. He said he does, God doesn't just erase it, which is just as if I've never sinned. But now I'm stuck in neutral. I'm just going to sin again. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of identification with that. Um, 
you're like, yeah, he would. I mean, you're going to sin again too if we're just erased. What God did in Christ Jesus is he took these negatives and he made them positives. He doesn't just see somebody in neutral. He sees the righteousness of his son when he looks on us. God sees the purity of the obedience of Jesus on your life when you're in Jesus. What a remarkable, undeserved gift that while we were sinners, he loved us and he didn't just love us and feel compassion about us. Wow, he's really struggling. We should put a sad face, click the sad face emoticon so that he knows that I know that he's hurting. His compassion didn't stop with an idea or a feeling. It didn't stop with an emotion. But his compassion provoked an action of coming and dying the death that we deserved. Taking on the full punishment of our sin. Every single one of these negatives doesn't become a positive just because he had a bank account of positives and he was handing them out. The negatives had to be dealt with. So he took on the punishment for every single negative and made them positive. He makes us righteous and makes us whole. Grace outweighs our sin. Grace transforms our identity. It changes us completely. Transformation. I, I, you can look online about the metamorphosis of a butterfly. It goes in as as a caterpillar, as one thing, it turns to a glob and then it comes out as a completely different thing, completely unrecognizable from what it was. There's a transformation that occurs through the power of Jesus in our lives that, that, will, that we have to agree with and we've got to cooperate with and we can definitely work against, but it comes from him and not from ourselves. And the last cool thing about grace is that it's going to accomplish its purpose. As grace pours out on you, you're going to be transformed. You're made righteous. You're made whole. You're made, you're made uh, pure. But then there's, then there's that power to do good. There's that power to minister. There's that power for God to use you in a way that he sees fit for the advancement of his kingdom. So where the power and the grace of God came to Paul, transformed him, and then empowered him as an apostle, the spirit of God will fall on you, transform you, and empower you to be who it is that he has created you to be. It's going to empower you to be the employee or to be the, the man or woman of God in the, in the workplace that you're in to advance the kingdom of God through you the way that nobody else is going to be able to minister the grace of God. The, the Brian Schweppe in our congregation has been praying for people and seeing many, many people healed lately. People hearing that couldn't hear. People's knees getting healed. People's shoulders getting healed. It's really cool. If you can find him, talk. Oh, he's back there. You can talk to him and ask him about it. It's remarkable. But it's not that he's got access to something that we don't have access to. It's the same power of Christ 
working through him for healing because he's got faith for the healing as it takes for us to, to hear and to believe and to respond to the message. It's just faith. It's the same God, but it's a different distribution. It's a different manifestation of the power of God through him. If you can believe in Jesus, it's the same power of Jesus that, that transforms you, that will heal your marriage, that will help your child, that will help your workplace, that will heal your body, right? Are you, are you with me? I would be getting excited if I were you, but I'm just excitable. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm just excited that, that, that the power of God, when it comes, it will manifest and it will look different and it will look great. The same thing that if you're encouraged at all by what's being said by what today is the same power that's available to you to go and tell your neighbor about what God's doing in your life or to invite your friend to church or to invite your coworker to church or that person you hate to church. Amen. Right? Like, why don't we invite the people we hate the most to church? That makes the most sense. Doesn't it? Like this would be for my greatest benefit. <laughs> if you would come and experience the, the nearness of God. Now, if somebody invited you to church, you've got to decide. Did they hate you or did they love you? <laughs> we'll just assume the best. They love you. That would be to our benefit though, right? If, if we invited the person that we couldn't stand the most to church and invited them into the opportunity for transformation, we're like, no, I'd rather you go down this path that I hate. God forbid I, I invite you for an opportunity to be transformed and to be changed into something new that reflects the love and mercy and compassion of Jesus Christ. That'd be awful for me. Anyway, that was sarcastic. I apologize, negative. We all are. We're going to continue to be. The question is whether or not you're going to be self-made or God-made. Are you going to pull yourself up and celebrate your own victories and your own accomplishments, your own purposes, your own ideas? Or are you willing to lay that aside and allow the grace of God to draw near and make you into who you are? The man who called himself the least of the apostles ended up writing a whole lot of the Bible. And we look back on Paul and we're like, he's the greatest apostle. Among the greatest. Had a trading card, I'd keep it. Right? Under, under, in a safe. Signed if you could get it. I mean, he, he touched handkerchiefs and they healed people. So if you could get him to sign it, you just heal people. That's where the Bible meets my imagination, JC. <laughs> are you self-made or are you grace-made? As friends, we should cry out to God for our friends that they would be made by grace. As brothers, sisters, children, sons and daughters, we should cry out for our family. As husbands, we should cry out for our wives. As wives, we should cry out for our husbands. As parents, we should cry out for our children that God's grace would make them. That God would draw near and transform them and draw them in and change them and transform them. Look, we all have strayed 
We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have wandered from his grace. We all have done that and we all will be tempted to do it and we all kind of wander away sometimes on accident. And if you're feeling this way today, come back. If you've never come to the grace of God for his forgiveness, for his mercy, today's your day. If you've been stray, if you've been kind of, you were like with Jesus and then you weren't with Jesus for a minute, let's get with Jesus again today. Let's get close to him today. Let's take that step that, that either Shanique or Megan was talking about. Let's take that, that step forward today. Even if it's a small step and you'll realize that God is standing there with open arms waiting for you by his grace and his mercy. He's been calling you and drawing you. He brought you to church. He brought you to this relationships that brought you here. He's, he's bringing you to a place so that you can respond in faith because he knows what he wants for you and he wants to embrace you and hold you in that place. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care how much church you know. I don't care how many Bible verses you can quote or what leadership position you held in whatever church. That doesn't matter to me. It matters far less to God. Really, all he wants is for us to say, I don't identify with my own strengths, but I identify primarily and foremost with with the strength, the mercy, the compassion, the love, and the grace of God. Father, we love you and I thank you that you draw near.